News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Eye on Health, care for you and your parents. Uh, I'm Jason Kong, and with me as always is Cooper Linton and Nicole Bruno. And guys, you're you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. Well, we're happy to be stuck with you. We don't think of that as being stuck, Jason. Well, you're you're very kind. We, uh, we will. You're the new guy, and we will teach you the ways. Scott Fitzgerald got <laughs> a, a, a lovely gig working at WBT in Charlotte. Uh, so uh, I'll be trying to steer the ship going forward but man uh scott was kind of an expert on on senior care and i uh, i am on the opposite side of the spectrum well, we trained him he was a newbie once too you'll be okay well and i think one of the best things you bring is not being an expert because mm-hmm. the reality is none of us are experts in the things we have not had to experience yet and most of our listeners have not had to experience some of these caregiving issues yet but the time's coming they're going to well if there's one thing that i excel at it's not being an expert so, <laughs> you know I, I guess let's let's start out with you know we, we talk a lot about uh, transitions life care and transitions guiding light and why don't we start out with exactly what these two uh services are and how they got started well, sometimes the best place to start is at the beginning. And Transitions Life Care did not start out as Transitions Life Care. It started out as Hospice of Wake County back in the late 70s uh, when Dr. William Dunlap, Dr. Billy Dunlap, as he's more commonly known, uh, in conjunction with some folks in our community who realized there was a, a dearth of services for people facing into life care, got together as a group of volunteers and out of their own pockets created a hospice. And and this was so early on that the North Carolina uh, Department of Health and Human Services didn't even have a license for hospice. Wow. Uh, So they licensed us as a home health agency for the terminally ill, which is kind of weird, but that's how far back it goes. And these folks created this out of their own pockets. Uh, They had no interest, financial interest in it. They did it out of altruism. It was done totally by volunteers. They had a big fundraiser every year, too. They ended up with a great big fundraiser, (laughs) uh, which was uh, the Oktoberfest, ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners have went to that. Oktoberfest in Cameron Village, Mm -hmm. which actually predates my time with the organization, Mm -hmm. and I've been here over 11 years. Mm -hmm. So we're really going back into how the community built Hospice of Wake County, and obviously Hospice was our primary service. What we did was took care of people. Um, even before there was a Medicare benefit for it in the 80s. And then that grew into grief care because, well, people on hospice very often pass away, most often pass away, and their families needed help. So Mm -hmm. we started providing grief services. Which is still not reimbursed. It's still not (laughs) reimbursed, and we still offer it. And today it's called Transitions Grief Care because so many people come to our grief program who didn't come through hospice because we serve everybody. Anyone who's had a loss can come to our grief program. You know, Cooper, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about hospice. That's a scary, scary word. You say that word and people back up, physically back up on you. So let's run through some of those misconceptions. It's all about cancer. And by the way, (laughs) less than half of our patients today actually have cancer as a primary diagnosis. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, it used to be 90%. Well, now people are living chronically with cancer now. That's the trick, mm-hmm. Nicole, is that they are we're treating cancer long, well enough that you live long enough to die of something else. Mm-hmm. And that sounds terribly morbid, but that's a great news for that's great news for folks with cancer. Absolutely. So it's all, you know, one of the misconceptions is all about cancer. The other is it's just for the last few days of life. Well, it's actually a 6-month benefit under Medicare. And the number one thing we hear from patients and families after they get on to hospice is, wow, this is awesome. I wish we'd done this sooner. My quality of life is better. 
And so it's not just for the last few days of life. We've even heard some crazy things like when you're on hospice, you can't eat or you can't drink. And, and nothing is further from the truth. In fact, we take more restrictions off of patients. Who cares what you're going to eat and drink? Mm-hmm. If, you've already, if we've acknowledged, hey, I'm not going to survive my diagnosis. I'm going to live my life as an individual then we're really not too worried about what you eat and drink. And have your cigarettes and drink your alcohol. Well, there comes a point where you just have to say, what matters to me right. in life? Is it dietary restrictions? Is it lifestyle changes? Am I really going to try and lose 20 pounds? Right. Uh, or am I going to enjoy my life and be around the people I'm with and I want to minimize the amount of medications and the side effects And I'm going to live my life as well as I can, as long as I can. Well, you know, and there's another misconception I'd like to touch on that I I often hear. And I actually can honestly say I thought this, too, way, way back when. Uh, We're going to touch a little bit later on today about assisted living and how all assisted livings are not created equally. But I think people generally, generally believe there is one hospice and everyone somehow is connected to that one hospice. <laughs> right. I mean, right. really, people like believe... The National Heart Association or yeah, something that just, were all chapters, and it, it's just not true. Right. So how does that work? Well, the reality is they're independent businesses. And ours is the original nonprofit entity, Hospice Away County, now Transitions Life Care and Transitions Hospice, is the original nonprofit that started serving Wake County and then later the entire Triangle area and now a seven-county area, all Wake in the contiguous mm-hmm. counties. But you were truly one of the original hospices, period. Founded. We were one of the original hospices in North Carolina yeah. and one of the first in the United States. Yeah. Um, and that really is because of the visionary action by that group of volunteers I mentioned earlier that were standing around in the late 70s going, there's got to be something better we can do for our community. And so they built this. Uh, and as I mentioned, we started serving areas outside of Wake County. So now we cover from Pittsburgh, you know, all through Chapel Hill, all of Durham, all of Franklin County, all of Johnson County, Harnett County. Uh, we even merged with Hospice of Harnett County. And of course, we still serve Wake County. But the name didn't make sense if we're offering grief care, hospice care, now palliative care, mm-hmm. which is a physician specialty program, home health, uh, and now a pediatric program. Mm-hmm. So we needed to change our name to something that was a little more encompassing. Yeah, and it wasn't a, a takeover or anything. It was just that— No, it was the same people. Yeah, it's the same, same board, same exact service. Same executive staff, same volunteers, same people. But we needed a name that wasn't so located to Wake County. Exactly. And to Nicole's point earlier, we were calling things hospice, which for some people is a scary word, but it wasn't hospice. We had grief programs and home health and palliative care and— Folks didn't like the name hospice, particularly when they weren't in hospice. Mm-hmm. So we needed to change it to something that really recognized more of what we were. Um, but no, it's still nonprofit, still based here. It's just grown with our community. I mean, our community doesn't look like it did in the 70s. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's completely changed, and it's, it's had to evolve because of just the, uh, uh, the explosive growth in this area alone. Absolutely. So you use a really big word that I don't think everybody necessarily understands, palliative care. Palliative care. So palliative care is a broad term, and some people associate it with hospice. And it makes sense that they do in the sense that all hospice is palliative care, but not all palliative care is hospice. Palliative care really is focused on the quality of life and the person's whole being and the idea of wrapping comfort around them. Mm-hmm. Many of our patients, in fact, over half of our palliative care patients who are treated by our specialty physicians and NPs, don't 
go into hospice. They actually continue to pursue curative care. And that gives them an option of addressing their symptoms, mm -hmm. addressing pain, focusing on quality of life. What are their goals of life? What And being thought of as a whole person and not so much a heart disease patient or pulmonary mm -hmm. disease patient or cancer patient. And so it is a subspecialty of palliative medicine. Mm -hmm. And we have 23 physicians and nurse practitioners that excel at this. And we go to homes, nursing homes, assisted livings, hospitals, just about everywhere doing that program. Fabulous opportunity. Yeah, that's, uh, again, something that I, I, I didn't understand the, the differentiation between palliative care and hospice. I thought that they were you know, I thought that that was just a term. Well, the are words that are very closely related, but they really are. They have distinct meanings. Yeah. Absolutely. So you've, you've kind of left me wanting for more in a couple of different areas. All right. What are those areas, uh, Nicole? Well, you, you mentioned earlier that hospice is not all about cancer anymore. Right. And you've also mentioned palliative care has a whole host of other diagnoses. So how would I know if I was in the community and had a loved one that was chronically ill if they were appropriate for either service and which types of diagnoses well there is no see. wrong diagnosis okay. so you don't have to have a particular you one you don't have to have a right diagnosis okay. you don't have to worry about that one and one of the best ways to do is just ask your physician hey i've heard about palliative care it seems like it might be an option for us can we explore that and it's covered by Medicare. It's covered by Medicaid. So it's it's a very low or no-cost way to find out if we can do something for you. Very good. Cooper, we uh, we thank you for uh, and Transitions Life Care for uh, that very informative segment. We're going to get into a little bit of what Transitions Guiding Lights is as well. And uh, we've also got a, a special guest later on in the program that's going to teach us a little bit about assisted living. You're listening to Ion Health on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which I've learned a lot about. And uh, Transitions Life Care, if you were listening earlier, was founded as Hospice of Wake County. And you can find everything that you want to know online about them at transitionslifecare.org. And uh, with me, as always, I'm Jason Kong. Again, fresh. <laughs> on Ion Health, I'm uh, I'm still fresh you're, and sharp. Your maiden voyage. I, I passed my uh, my hazing ritual. Apparently, I'm I'm limping a little bit, but I'm okay. Oh, we're not that it bad. bad. No, it it wasn't. Uh, but uh, as always, fixtures on the show: uh, Cooper with Transitions Life Care and Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. And you know, we we had this conversation earlier about uh, sort of the creation of hospice of wake county and you know we were having a, a quick conversation earlier but you know that actually the first uh first patient was a child is that correct actually our first patient back in the 70s was a child mm -hmm. uh and in some ways it was foretelling of what we would ultimately grow into as an organization because about a year and a half ago uh through the uh, vision of our board and our medical leadership and through the generosity of our community, some, some donors stepped up and provided the funds for this. We were able to open this region's uh, only dedicated pediatric program for hospice and palliative care. In fact, more kids are in the palliative care program than in hospice. Yeah. Well, well I as a mother of three, and I'm, you have a, a newborn child. Who, you, well, well, that's a hard decision to make. Yeah. Well, even the word 
putting the concept of a child into our paradigm of what hospice is is scary. It doesn't seem like it fits mm-hmm. because we don't want to address the reality that while most people in hospice and palliative care are adults, aging adults, there are some children who are facing end-of-life mm-hmm. issues. And that means their parents and their siblings are too, which is why having a dedicated program for children in this area that is now available is, is such an incredible gift from our community to let our organization offer these services because it, it's, it's community-supported. Uh, the community has funded this, and we're now able to offer it um, back to the parents of these children and allow these children to uh, have end-of-life care services and supportive services at home. And they want to be at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us want to contemplate the mortality of our children. No. We don't want to talk, talk about our own mortality, but even more, we don't mm-hmm. want to talk about the mortality of our children. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing yet is to need those services and them not be available. And so they're now available in this community. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. And, you know, just real quick, how, how do people, if, if they are interested in maybe providing a donation or somehow getting involved, how do you do that? Because this sounds like uh, just a tremendous opportunity. Well, there's an army of that, volunteers. Yeah. We have mm-hmm. an army of volunteers. Literally. Well, we always say the, the, the volunteers got here first. We were founded by volunteers. They were... We were fully staffed by volunteers before we ever had paid staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if folks want to volunteer, they want to make a donation, they're interested in pursuing a professional career with our organization, transitionslifecare.org is the easiest way to find us online 24 hours a day or during business hours at 919-828-0890. Very good. Now, I've, I've somewhat of uh, learned here now on Transitions Life Care. <laughs> the quiz will come after the show. Right. right, right. The pop <laughs> test. I pulled up the cliff notes. I, I think uh, <laughs> maybe I can get through this one. But Nicole, now you are associated with Transitions Guiding Lights. Tell yeah. me a little bit about what that is. So I'm actually the co-founder and we founded that organization in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically with the idea that caregivers need support too. And so throughout my career as a social work over 20 years in social work um, Always along the way, you know, when I was admitting residents in a nursing home or in assisted living or a participant in an adult daycare program or a client in a home care agency, there, there was a caregiver there and you wished you had more time to work with that caregiver and they were so stressed out, sick of telling their story over and over again to every single level of care, got to thinking about, well, wouldn't it be neat if there was a place, if, uh, just some sort of a place where a caregiver could be supported with um, information referral and education? And so that is truly how Transitions Guiding Lights was founded. Um, We are a place where family caregivers can reach out to us to receive information uh, in their caregiving journey, whether they need support for themselves, whether they're really just stressed out, need some information about um, the chronic conditions that their loved one may be facing, whether they need a referral. We have a network of over 275 organizations that we currently give referrals to or whether they need uh, different pieces of education to support them in their journey to make them more learned, as you said, about the particular needs that they have as a caregiver and the needs that their loved ones may face in the future. Yeah, and that seems so important because, you know, I, as, as we mentioned before, I just became a father, and mm-hmm. there's, there's so many resources available, and there's so much uh, knowledge passed down from other people. Other people want to chime in and say, hey, this is yeah. a helpful tip for raising yeah. a child and providing care for a child. Mm-hmm. When it comes to providing care for a, another loved one who may be a little bit older, I, I wouldn't know where to start. It's a tangled web out there. It, yeah. it is, and there's there's 
not all information is useful and helpful information. Even That's when you the have a child, yes? Right, of course, yes. <laughs> we get great one. advice. Let's assume that all of it is well-intended. Right. Not all of it is well-directed. Mm-hmm. And as having been on a caregiver journey and done that as certainly professionally but personally as well, you're overwhelmed by what you don't know. And then it becomes very difficult to even know where to start to ask. And I personally feel that one of the most valuable components of Transitions Guiding Lights is it's the easy button for how do I get help. Mm -hmm. There's not a wrong question. You don't have to know what you don't know. You don't have to know how to articulate the exact right thing to get help. You call the number and start telling your story. And their their referral coordinator there is so gifted at being able – to help you navigate what you don't know. She'll actually lead you through that. It's like having a guide mm-hmm. uh, along this journey. And that's really where that I think that mm-hmm. name came Somebody from. Somebody holding a lantern and leading the way for you, really. Right. And we need someone to help us through that. Even those of us, as I talk to people who have professionally been in this, we think we know what we need to know because we do this for a living. Yeah. When it's your loved one and it's your personal journey – it doesn't matter how educated you are. This is different. And the you fog need comes down. Yeah. The fog comes down and you need <laughs> you help. Need and that's what Transitions Guiding Lights is the easy button for caregivers to find resources. Very good. And can you find more information about Transitions Guiding Lights on the Transitions Life Care website? Or is you that can. There's really no wrong door. You contact Transitions Life Care. You can find Transitions Guiding Lights. Or you can go specifically to our website, which is guidinglightsnc.org. Or you can call us at 919 919- Three seven one two zero six two. Similarly to Transitions Life Care, you know our services are no charge to the community, and we are sort of a. We were talking in a, in a meeting the other day, sort of above the wave as far as getting reimbursement for our services. So donations are very very important, and our fundraising events because reality is we are providing the service for free to the community and um, it's it's not easy to do when you have nobody that you can bill <laughs> well, you have to support what you want yeah well i appreciate the uh education lesson here cooper the sock puppets were very helpful for me that's <laughs> i love sock puppets jason just so you know that that i helps can't me bring them lot. every week though okay well um you know that's okay i i would prefer you to wear socks in the studio so <laughs> well sometimes he won't well come summertime and it gets a little stinky in here oh my <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the summer programs. Well, we're going to get into a conversation about assisted living. I'll, I'll learn a little something about that. I'm sure we'll have English Edwards here with uh, Sunrise Senior uh, Living, and it, it's going to be a, what I think a, an interesting conversation, and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be tons more for me and everyone else to learn. You're listening to Eye on Health. Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. As we mentioned before, you can find them online at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Eye on Health. Care for you and your parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which is uh, founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online at transitionslifecare.com. As always, we've got Cooper and Nicole here in the studio. And Cooper, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about, uh, of course, Transitions Life Care and the services that, that they provide. And, you know, that's kind of wide ranging and there's lots of partnerships involved as well. Right. And we can't do it by ourselves, Jason. Uh, we have to have relationships with esteemed partners in our community that work with us to care for patients and their families. And uh, we're excited to have one of those with us this evening. Uh, That's English Edwards, and she's with Sunrise Senior Living. She's actually the area manager uh, of business development for Sunrise. And we had some questions for you today, English. Welcome on to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Well, we're we're glad you came in this evening. Assisted living is one of those topics that gets confusing for folks. First off, they're not sure what it is, and that word gets thrown around, and it means broad things. And how is that different from an independent living? How is that different from a nursing home? Are these all the same places, or are they different? They are different, um, but there certainly is overlap between independent living communities and assisted living communities. Um, I think... Probably the biggest, the biggest difference is going to be that in an assisted living, the communities are staffed with their employees, that they train, that they develop, that they um, are teaching the ways that they want that care given to the residents that are living there. Um, we're monitored by the state, by the county. Um, so there's a lot of oversight to make sure that, that we are providing what we say we're going to provide and that we're doing it within the regulations. Um, whereas independent living communities typically um, either contract with home care agencies to provide some of that care, and it's not—they're um, not monitored by the state and the county. So it's—it's it's intended to be a more independent setting with people needing just a little bit of support in the activities of daily living, bathing, dressing, meal prep, those types of things. So it used to be when I sort of entered this the scene here that independent living communities were truly. You moved in, you got a meal, or two or three, housekeeping was done, that sort of thing. It was monitored for safety, Um, maybe there were some activities, but this whole idea of having personal care, assistance with bathing, dressing, grooming, that's relatively new, I would even say, within the last five or six years. And now, as you're saying, it almost looks like every single independent living community is adding those services. And I'm kind of wondering why that's happening. I I have a suspicion as to why that's happening. And how do you differentiate yourselves? Yeah, so I've been with Sunrise for almost 14 years. Mm -hmm. And the change that I've seen, certainly from 2003 Mm -hmm. to today, has been huge. Mm -hmm. Um, But to your point, really in the last five or six years, there's been a big shift. you know, I think people are staying home longer. Yeah. You know, they're we, not ready. They're not ready. They don't want to leave their home. You know, I can't blame them. My grandmother was the mm-hmm. same way. She was not leaving that recliner, sitting in her den. Like, mm-hmm. just wasn't going to happen. Right. Um, but we've also seen an uptake in home care agencies. Right. right? There's a lot oh, more yeah. people out there with businesses saying, I can help you stay in your mm-hmm. home, which is great. Mm-hmm. So people are going to independent livings later, mm-hmm. or they're skipping it altogether because by the time they need it, what they're offering is not is not what they need. Sure. Um, but I think too, it's it's a matter of the independent living communities 
were starting to notice that they were losing some of their residents over things that were so small, over things that were like small. maybe just medication reminders right, that right. they well, we can't can remind do. Them to take them, you know, yeah. Or oh, they just need help with the bath. Well, we can once we a can week. figure yeah, that right. out. Yeah, and you know that's now you know kind of become well now we can do this. Well, why can't we add this thing or why can't we add this piece to it? And so mm-hmm. they're staying there longer. And in many cases, past a point where I believe it's safe for them to be in that independent Right, because how could they get out in case of a fire? Right. You know, if there were one home care agency aid there and there was a fire at two in the morning, how in the world would they get out all their 20 clients safely? Right. That's just the type of things I right. think about. No, no, it is. And, and I think the bigger kind of elephant in the room is those residents that have any type of memory loss or dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, they may be able to function okay in their in their apartment, but like you said, if there's a fire, what are they going to do? If they have a fall, they may lay there all night mm-hmm. because there's not a system in place of checking on these residents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, you know, when you're when you're looking into senior living, it's important that that you're asking these hard questions mm-hmm. of what happens. You know, if you're looking at an independent living, what happens at two in the morning? If mm-hmm. there's a fire, you know, what happens if, you know, my mom has a fall? Is there somebody checking on her mm-hmm. so that you can really differentiate between the two and what your loved one really needs? So in that same vein, English of what happens, what happens if I move into an assisted living and my needs change? How do I, can I stay there? Do I progress from there? Help me understand the trajectories that may be available to me. Well, to make it even more complicated, <laughs> More complicated? More complicated. Uh, Why should it be easy? No assisted living is created the same. So They're different from each other. They're different from each other. There's not one size. One description does not apply to every facility. Exactly. Okay. So each community has rules and regulations that we have to follow, mandated by the state. So there's a baseline. There's a baseline. For everyone. For everyone. Yep. You have to provide meals. You have to provide housekeeping. Um, You know, things like that. But there is gray area as far as what you can do. And so some assisted living communities, Sunrise being one of them, has chosen to kind of push that envelope and say, well, if these are things that within our regulations we can do, then we want to do them. If it means keeping our residents in our community till the end of life, then we want to do that. Other assisted livings have looked at that and said, that's that's." That's an area that we just don't want to get into. That's a lot of more staff, more um, equipment that we may need. And so they've chosen not to do that. That does not make them wrong and us right or vice versa. It just means they choose to take care of a different type of resident. At Sunrise, we believe when you, it's hard enough to move. You know, I mean, my family moved two months ago. We're still in turmoil. You take an 85-year-old who's been in her house for 45-plus years, it's, it's hard. It's a hard adjustment. And so our belief is we want to we want to get you into our community and take care of you till the end. And so we choose to do a higher level of care. So, again, it's important when you're looking at assisted living communities to ask those questions. You know, at what point will my loved one have to leave? What are you capable of doing here? What does that look like? Does that mean you're doing that care? Are you bringing in supportive services? like Transitions Life Care, mm-hmm. um, you know, really getting to the nitty gritty so that you're not caught off guard in a year being told, oh, well, now you've got to move your loved one out. 
because we can't take care of them anymore. So it almost sounds like to me that there's been a bit of a domino effect, some caused by the consumer, some caused by the behavior of the different levels of care. Mm -hmm. Consumers are entering in all the levels of care later, which is then causing each level of care to figure out how are we going to survive. Let's just think about it from a business perspective. So then the aisles are saying, well, in order to survive and keep a person more than a year, we need to add supportive services. And now ALs are saying, well, in order to, you know, normally we would have gotten the client that's in the aisle in the assisted living. Now we need to look at this and say, well, if we're going to specialize, which Sunrise does a really good job with Alzheimer's and dementia, we need to think about what other things can we put into place to help that person age through the process. So then where does that leave, I wonder, skilled nursing care, nursing homes? (laughs) Yeah, you know, we've had people say, you know, well, you sometimes feel like a nursing home, Mm -hmm. which, you know, there are things that we can't do that skilled nursings can Right. We can't do IV therapy or medication, anything like that. Um, we can't do ventilators. We can't do feeding tubes. Um, so there certainly is a need for skilled nursing facilities to take care of those those patients who really need that 24-hour nursing. Well, when we talk about the best care, we're talking about trying to get the right person in the right place at the right time. and. There are handoffs within the system as someone progresses, and it may be from home to independent living, from independent living to assisted living or adult care homes, as we sometimes call them, and then on to skilled nursing facilities or nursing homes. So I, I think you're right. There's a place for everybody. Um, and in a moment, I've, I've got some questions for you about how do we pay for all this? Because I'm sure this is all free, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, well, unfortunately, people think it often is. So I think we really got to talk about the financial part of this. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And we'll continue our conversation with English Edwards from Sunrise Senior Living here on Ion Health. Care for you and your parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find them online, as always, at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Ion Health. Care for you and your parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can always go online and find them at transitionslifecare.org. Nicole and Cooper, as always, in the studio. And Cooper, I've learned some new terms here today. Independent living, assisted living. We've got uh, a great guest today. We've got English Edwards in from Sunrise. And, uh, you know, we were, we wrapped up the last segment sort of talking about the financial aspect of it. And, you know, that, that was one question that I had is, you know, okay, I've sort of learned the difference between these two things and also, uh, you know, nursing care as well. Uh, but what's, what's the cost? What are the financials related to this? Jason, the old adage is people are funny about money. <laughs> and part of it is we're just uncomfortable talking about it. And as I've worked with caregivers over the years, many times they push off making a decision because they're afraid to talk about money. They may be embarrassed to talk about money. They're concerned that they may indicate that they have not properly planned or their loved one may not have the necessary means. And the realities of this are that our community has people in it of all varying means, uh, financial capacities. And there are different options within assisted living for people with different uh, levels and amounts of money. Uh, On an earlier radio show we did uh, at the end of 2016, we talked about that actually most 
assisted living or adult care home in North Carolina. Most of those days are paid for through Medicaid. And so Hmm. we have people at the lower income level who still have access to certain facilities. And yet there's also a larger, particularly in the triangle, population of private pay assisted living or adult care homes. We use those terms interchangeably um, in North Carolina. And we were really hoping that, uh, English, you could shed some light for us on kind of how do families pay for that within the Sunrise Senior Living Communities. You know, it's funny. I can think of a thousand conversations I've had with families who struggle to talk about the financial piece. And, you know, I always say, you know, even when you have money, money's an issue. You know, I mean, either you don't want to let go of it or you're afraid you don't have enough. So it, it is a it is a hard conversation to have with families. Um, but we sit down and, and really go over the details so that they know exactly what it's going to look like. And it does vary from community to community. Um, some communities do a, f- a flat fee per month. Other communities like Sunrise do it based on the care that you need. So, you know, we break it out as far as the base, which is, you know, kind of your housing cost, levels of care, and then help with medication so that you're not paying for a service that you don't, you don't need. Um, So the level of care moves with my need. Exactly. In the Sunrise facilities. And I'm therefore also the amount of money I pay moves with the need. Now it can go up. Can it also go back down? It can go back down. You know, we have folks that will move in from rehab. Something happened fell broke a hip they've been in rehab for several weeks they get out they can't go back home it's not safe they're not able to care for themselves so they come to us maybe needing still a lot of care you know we're doing therapy we're helping them be safe with showers and getting dressed and getting down for meals but as they continue rehabbing and getting stronger and getting you know a good solid diet in they don't need as much of that help they're able to you know kind of take over that care for themselves so that level of care can most definitely come down which is another reason that we like to break it out because you can move it up and down based on what their their needs are so basically this is a private pay situation for for sunrise Mm -hmm. and other ways people can pay if someone has a long-term care Mm -hmm. insurance policy um, that will cover assisted living okay um Medicare does not cover assisted living. And that's a bit, people think Medicare people covers think everything. Medi- yeah, they do. They do. Um, and they swear they were told that. Uh, I mean. And they may have it, been, you know. it's yeah. And uh, people use Medicare, Medicaid interchangeably. Yeah. And I don't think they understand the differences mm-hmm. in the two. And inaccurately. Yes, yes. Um, so it is. And in, in, in this area, most of the communities are private pay. Mm-hmm. Again, with the exception of somebody's got that long-term care policy, right? Cover that, which essentially um, pays privately for them. Well, it does. So that, yeah, it does. Um, so we're not talking just for you know people who may not have heard that term. We're not talking about your Blue Cross Blue Shield policy. No, we're talking about a specific insurance policy that you purchase to pay for your care when you need when you mm-hmm. had certain level of skilled mm-hmm. needs. Yes. So that's just an important differentiator because yes. I've had people think that their health insurance will pay for assisted living right. or home care as well. So. Right. Right. Now, obviously, you can use you know, your Medicare and your supplemental insurance right. for your medications. And the doctor's visits. For the doctor's whatnot. visits, um, for therapy mm-hmm. in the community, home health, things mm-hmm. like that. But for the actual assisted living stay, the, mm-hmm. the care that you're going to receive there is is a private pay situation. So, English, one of the conversations that we often have at Transitions Guiding Lights with families, and I just had one the other day, 
actually, is trying to help that family caregiver get mentally prepared for what they're going to experience when they walk into an assisted living community, whether it's a sunrise or one of your competitors, it really doesn't matter. Uh, and, and thinking about what that individual has as their primary diagnosis and the trajectory of that diagnosis. So one of the things, for example, you all do very, very well is specialize in working with people with cognitive impairment, dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera. Um, you know, you don't want to constantly move a person who has an Alzheimer's. And we talked about not all assisted living communities are created equally. And so when you think about if somebody has an Alzheimer's diagnosis, and it seems a lot, like a lot of those folks don't have anything else wrong with them, that's just the, the one thing, they could live, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 years with this diagnosis. So you, you need to think about a few things. How long will your money last? when you have a diagnosis such as this. And also, if the person is truly gonna ultimately die from this disease, it takes a pretty similar path no matter who you are. And so that means your level of care needs are going to increase. And whether or not that individual can actually be supported where they're admitted needs right. to be considered. So one of the things that we talk to families about is you may be placing your loved one in a place where some of the people may look like they're more sick than your loved one, but you need to think about the long term. Right. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? I absolutely. So how do you help families overcome that? You, you know, know it, it's hard because especially with dementia, you know, your loved one may may look just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not in a wheelchair. They may not be using a walker. They may not use a cane. Um, but cognitively, they are not safe mm -hmm. to be at home anymore. You know, they may be trying to leave the house mm -hmm. because they you know, with their with their memory loss, or trying to get somewhere. Right. They may not know where they're going, but they got they got to go. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the folks that when they have to move into our memory care neighborhoods, which is a secured area, um, those families may also see some of those folks who are Further later along. stages mm -hmm. in that disease. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard. It's hard to look at some people who are more end stage, and then look at your loved one, who's you know, a walkie-talkie, you know, yep. they're great. They're having a conversation with you. They're mm -hmm. helping you make dinner um, and say, I, I, I don't want to put my loved one here. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want I want them to be in a place where, you know, there's there's more going on. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is a challenge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, being able to share those experiences with past residents, yeah. you know, share that this person in this wheelchair was like your mom when she moved here. Or, but we've been able to care for her. Yeah. Through every stage of this disease. Or the other thing I think people don't consider often is, you know, you may take your mom, who's you're saying the walkie talkie, mm -hmm. and place her in an assisted living community where other people look like her. But the amount of energy it takes for that person to look like everyone else, it's, a, it's really stressful. It is very and stressful. And it drains them. And then... I've seen that when you place someone like that in a memory care unit, that they actually, you know, they might be the, the most um, person who's able to do the most things, but that mm -hmm. elevates them, that gives them a sense of purpose. And yeah, you really absolutely. see them just, not just the physical side, but the emotional side of being able to be the best they can be really improves their self-esteem. Absolutely. And when, before anybody moves in to our community, we do an assessment. Mm -hmm. And the hardest conversations to have are those where that family thinks their loved one should be in assisted living. Mm -hmm. But with our expertise know if we move your loved one into assisted living they're not going to be successful mm -hmm. and they're going to be overwhelmed it is so much more important for us to have that person in the neighborhood where they're going to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment mm -hmm. and not lost mm -hmm. and trying to fit in because they're, they're just not there right now and so so putting them in that in that right place is so important
So English, if I'm a listener this evening, I may have heard this angle. I really need to understand more about it. I need to find out more. I now know enough to know I didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can someone best reach you and Sunrise Senior Living? You can go to our website, um, sunriseseniorliving.com, and explore assisted livings, you know, our communities in this area. Um, we have a tremendous amount of resources on that website, blog articles, um, examples of our activity schedules, um, our, our menu, so that you can see, kind of get a feel Have a for what life experience. is like exactly okay. um, at a Sunrise community. But I always encourage families to come in and sit down and, and talk to us. You know, do it before something happens. You know, we, we do a great job of planning for college and planning for weddings and mm-hmm. planning to buy a home. We do not plan end of life well. And too many families walk through my door completely stressed out because mom's in rehab. She's being discharged on Friday. She can't go home. I don't know what to do. So be proactive and, and go online, you know, look at our website, find a community that's close to you that you, you know, have some interest in and go sit down and, and talk to someone. Take a tour, meet some residents, meet the staff, get a feel for it so that when something happens, which we hope it doesn't, but if it does, you're prepared. You're not caught off guard and scrambling to find somewhere for your loved one. It's, it's too important of a decision to put it to the last minute. English, thank you so much for joining us. Again, if you need to uh, find Sunrise Senior Living online, very easy, sunriseseniorliving.com is the website. If you'd like to uh, listen again to this program or share it with a friend, you can go online to wptf.com. Click on the uh, the on-demand section and search for Eye on Health, and you can re-listen to any part of this program that you may have listened. Also, share it with someone who may be in a situation where they need to know more about assisted living. You've been listening to Eye on Health, Care for You and Your Parents, a service of Transitions Life Care, which was founded as Hospice of Wake County. You can find more online about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to News Radio 680 WPTF.